But if you're relying 100% on advertising, you are doing yourself a disservice because there's so many other ways to make money. Hey, I'm Fred. And I'm Ed. And this is Create a Generation. Create a Generation of Hype. How do I make money as a YouTuber? It's a big question. We're going to help you understand how some of the top YouTubers diversify their revenue and make money on the platform, including insights from Vsauce and the Internet Historian. Let's get into it. Harold, the Internet Historian. Yeah, I've certainly got videos that have been demonetized. Um, when the channel first started growing in those first sort of three months, um, everything was growing really quickly. And it was like, oh, fantastic. And then the apocalypse happened. And it was like, all of this could be taken away in a moment. And, and in terms of revenue, most of it was. Um, and so I created a Patreon page. And then um, I realized, oh, uh, and, then, and then that carried on for a while. Um, and while I wasn't releasing videos, so you might have like a four-week gap between videos, the Patreon helped enormously with that. Initially, it was just a combat you know, the, the AdSense problem, um, but it ended up helping with that. And then um, uh, more recently, it was like a whole bunch of, you know, when, when, the, when the second apocalypse happened, um, I realized, oh, the whole channel could just get demonetized for, for no reason, essentially. That's what was happening to channels much larger than mine. By necessity, I had to diversify a lot of revenue streams, so it doesn't affect me as much. Um, if I've produced something for a long time and then the, th- the thing gets demonetized. Um, there are certain practices that you, you take when you're making a video to avoid demonetization, um, if that's sort of what you mean. Um, particular words are going to get caught up, especially political things. Um, so you just try to avoid those words where you can. Um, anything that's going to have like a sort of graphic nature to it. Uh, um, I, I try to work around that. And, um, you know, one thing that YouTube specifically has talked about is in the first 30 seconds, try to keep your content fairly mild. Mm-hmm. Um, so I try to do that as well. And um, again, it's, it's funny, the limitations end up helping you a lot because it's like, all right, well, that means that pretty much all of my videos are going to want to start with some form of like cinematic introduction because I can't leap into like the normal jokes in the first 30 seconds because that's not going to work. So, okay, the, the Fall of 76 video, for example, all right, well, we'll start as though we're playing the game Fallout, um, Fallout 3 and we're visiting the Bethesda ruins. Okay. And it's it just sort of, it's all sort of born out of necessity. Shannon from Buzz Patrol, a kid's channel with over 10 million subscribers. But there are a lot of other ways that, that um, kids kids brands can um, make revenue too so if you've got a toy channel for instance um, affiliate linking is is still a big thing if you're if you're um, advertising a product and then you can link through to that on on Amazon um, but there's also if you do music like we do live shows there's a lot of um, kids brands that are doing um, live shows live touring there's licensing so of videos to other platforms um, people will buy videos when it's a kids video because Unlike adult content, as I said before, they like to re-watch it, right? So if I need my video to watch that kid every day because they love it and then we're going on a plane, I need to buy that video to download. So, um, you know, there, there's a market there for that. Um, there's apps as well. A lot of kids' brands have have designed apps around their content. Um, there's licensing the IP, which is the traditional kids' media model. So um, most broadcast 
kids' IPs, the model there is you make a show. You know, I'm talking, you know, Thomas the Tank Engine, Peppa Pig, whatever it happens to be. Um, you make the show and the, and the broadcaster will give you a relatively small amount to put it on their station, but then the way that you um, make revenue from that audience is through licensing and, and merch. So then it, the, your character, Peppa Pig, appears on a T-shirt in Target um, and that's where the, the revenue is generated. It's not actually generated from the content itself. It's from the licensing of the IP for merch. Um, that hasn't translated quite as well over into digital online brands yet, partly because the licensing industry is such a high risk industry. If you, you know, there's only going to be 10 shirts on the shelf at Target for kids. And so if you're the buyer and you have to pick the 10 IPs that are going to go on those shirt, are you going to choose Frozen or are you going to choose Cocomelon, which is, you know, the biggest kids brand on YouTube. And you might choose Cocomelon these days, but mm. previously you would always choose Frozen. Callan from Slapped Ham, whose channel is all about spooky listicles. Yeah, I mean, it's an ongoing battle. Um, finding that balance of maintaining monetization and not going too far beyond the community guidelines, um, the advertising guidelines. I think we've hit a pretty comfortable rhythm. I think some channels in the space want to go that little bit more extreme for for the, you know, the titillating effect, I guess, you know, like to, mm. to bring people in with the gore and the, the sensationalism of it all. We, we just go just bring it back a notch and go a little more family-friendly to get a wider audience into it and to fit within those those guidelines because, yeah, it can be very, very hard. Occasionally we'll get something demonetized and then upon review, you know, you can submit it and someone reviews it and they say, yeah, upon review, no, there will be no ads running on this video and it, it can be very frustrating particularly when we we think we've hit all the, the right, you know, boxes and we don't think it goes too far and we don't get that feedback. It, it can be a little frustrating. Um, so it's, it's just a constant thing that we're balancing. Yeah, because like you said, a lot of people don't understand how the game works. Mm. A lot of people think I'm just on the dole or something, on Centrelink, you know. They, they look at me and they're like, do you make money out of what you do? Like, you know, real suspiciously. Yeah, like homeless people giving you money. Here you go, buddy. It's yeah, okay. You're yeah. okay. And like, you know, even like distant family will be like, so what is this, you know, what do you do? Like, and how do you make... And I explain it and then they, they still don't quite get it. Um, so, yeah, I mean, ad revenue is a massive part of what we do. Um, still, like, maybe 90% of our nest egg is ad revenue which which i'm very aware of um all our eggs are in that basket at this stage um so I'm, we're looking to diversify more in terms of like you know different ways on youtube that we can make money um you know super chats um we're gonna launch memberships in the next couple of weeks um we're already on patreon um which we, we don't push to all that much, so we just get kind of a gentle trickle of people who want to, you know, really strong fans that want to, you know, support what we do. They'll get involved with Patreon and that sort of stuff. Um, but, yeah, it's a fine balance. And like you said, it's a mix of entrepreneurial skills, uh, which I love, mm. which really resonates with me. Um, I have to work for myself, and I, that's something I've just realised recently. Um, I really resonate as being an entrepreneur. 
um, my early 20s, I got fired from pretty much every job I've ever had, you know, and I thought I was a bit of a doofus, you know. I was like, what's going on here? Like most of my friends, you know, they they have their office jobs and they go and do their nine to five and that. And I just thought maybe something was wrong, but then I figured out that I have, yeah. yeah, yeah, maybe there is something wrong, but I figured out I had to steer my own ship, you know, I had to be my own sort of captain, so to speak. Um, so I really resonate with just running my own business these days. Um, and it has to be that way now. I've tasted that entrepreneurial, <laughs> you know, being on your own steam. Um, and yeah, I love it. Captain Helly from Beauty News, which covers news on the beauty industry. You know, you see people that talk about, you know, when you do take a sponsorship and you sort of sell a piece of your soul, even if it's a genuine sponsorship that you get something you believe in, and I, I, I would take it if it's something I actually believe in. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, but I feel like every time you take a sponsorship, you're sort of eroding your credibility a little bit. And that only lasts short term. Mm. But if you keep your credibility long term, I think you do build something that's more valuable um, than, you know, trying to make a quick buck. Jim Lauderback, the CEO of VidCon. It's a couple of different things because in part it's find a good manager or, or uh, find a good manager and agent if you're big enough that they're interested in working with you who can help shape your career. Um, don't have them, don't be part of their network, but do, you know, the 10% or 15% or whatever agents and managers take. Um, and because the monetization side back in the early days of online video was primarily advertising, mm. it was very much of an advertising model where it's like a CPM, you get... 20 bucks for every thousand views and then this person takes this piece but now that there is a very diverse monetization landscape so yes advertising is a piece of it but if you're relying 100 percent on advertising you are doing yourself a disservice because there's so many other ways to make money from touring we see a lot of creators touring these days to books last time i had last time i saw you guys i was in melbourne um in november and you know, Georgia Productions was actually in town. I didn't even know. It was like I landed uh, on Sunday night, and she, early in the day, she'd been at somewhere in Melbourne, you know, doing a book thing, and all these people were there. I was like, that's so awesome. Um, there's Patreon, which is uh, – um, there are um, many, many other ways to make money as a creator, and having somebody to help you with that and manage that can be a really, really good thing. Danny from the influencer agency Scrunch. The biggest thing is I'm I'm running a business. So my business relies on people who are reliable, people that have pride in their work, people that produce amazing work um, and do what they say they're going to do. So a great creator for me comes with the lens that I make promises to brands and not just any brand. We work with the top tier brands in the world and when I make a promise to them, I want to make sure that I'm working with people who will help me uphold that promise. Um, so a great creator is somebody that has that business professionalism um, and does what they say they're going to do. So I liken being a creator to running your own business. So as a creator, you've got to think of a lot of different things. It's not actually just about creating content. It is about running a business. So it is about reaching out to brands for collaboration opportunities. It is thinking about managing social media platforms. It is developing a website. There are all of these skills. You know, you might be 
figuring out graphic design to, you know, create a new picture for your website or something. You might be, you know, then you've got to deal with invoicing brands when you get to that stage. So it is running a business and that's really tough. And especially when you're a solopreneur or a creator, um, you've got to learn all of those different things. And, um, you know, that takes work, especially if it's a side hustle, if you're doing a full-time job and trying to figure out all of those things after hours, you know, if you've got a family and you're trying to figure out those things, it's pretty difficult to balance everything yeah I think there's two approaches um authenticity to self and authenticity to audience so as a creator um I think you know we touched on earlier how running a business is hard work so as a creator you want to do stuff that sets your soul on fire you don't want if you're like a foodie and you love food you don't want to be you know promoting a plant brand, I say, I'm, there's a plant next to me, so that's what I reached it's for It's a plastic there. plant too. It's a plastic plant. Oh my God, <laughs> it's outrageous. You know, you don't want to be promoting a brand that you don't love that isn't going to be um, something that you're excited to get up every day and talk about. Uh, so I think it's important to figure out what you love and what you want to promote uh, because it comes across in content as well. Like we see influencers who take or creators who take jobs that – it might be for the money and you know you can see the lack of passion in the content they produce and that's not a great scenario because it means they won't get used again Um, you know people look at that whether it be the brand whether it be the agency that's engaged them you know everyone wants the best results so if you're not passionate about it you're not going to do your best work Uh, so I think it's important to understand what you love and what you want to get up every day and, and create and then I think it's really important to understand your audience so your audience will have have a demographic profile, Um, you know, they will engage with you uh, on their content, oh sorry, on your comments or in your blog or whatever it might be. It is so important to figure out who they are and what they care about so that you can also incorporate products, brands, content that they're going to love Uh, because that over time is what's going to build the following and engagement um, and keep people raving fans. When you see an Instagram feed that is product placement, product placement, product placement, that is now one of the key measures of influencer selection for brands. So influencers or creators get manually vetted on how many products they're promoting versus how many organic posts they have. So that actually rules creators out before they even get a look in in the campaign. Mm. So if you're doing that um, and not putting a focus on organic content creation that is just designed for you and your audience, um, you'll be cutting yourself out of work before you even start. Interesting. Mm. Mm-hmm. So is there, like, have you guys got any guidelines on how many brands that a creator should be working with? Too many, too, too little, like, probably oh. too many? Yeah, no, it's, I guess there's no hard and fast rule and it also depends on how much content you post. So if you only post a couple of times a week, you don't want to be working with a couple of brands a week. You know, you may be only wanting to work with a couple of brands a month because that's going to fit in really authentically with the content that you put out there. If you're producing content every day, if you're, you know, live on stories every day, if you're pushing out a ton of content, you can work with more brands because it makes sense because you're talking more and more about your day and what you're doing and it's easier to slot them in and have it feel authentic um so then we tend to say you know you can work with a brand a week and that's not a problem so to approach a brand what does a creator need to know about themselves and about the brand and what what do they need to do to approach a brand 
Yeah, so the biggest thing they need to know is who their audience is, both themselves and the brand. Because if there's no alignment, there's no way a brand is going to say yes. Um, if oh, I guess the caveat to that is if it was only content creation, if you just created beautiful content and you wanted to sell a bank of content to a brand, that might be a different story. But if you want to be a brand ambassador, if you want a sponsored post, if you want to create a sponsored video, you need to understand your audience and it needs to be the same audience as the brand. It needs to be relevant. Um, so having that data on your own audience is super critical uh, and having that data on the brand's audience is super critical as well. Yeah. And you can. How do you figure out Ooh. a brand's audience though? Like, I'm a creator, I don't know anything about. Like, they're not going to give me their metrics. No, they're not going to give you your metrics, but you can make some assumptions. So, if you are approaching a lipstick brand, uh, you can look at a brand's advertising, you can look at a brand's social media feed, and look at the types of people that they currently work with, look at the types of models they use in their advertising campaign, and make a rough selection on what type of customer they're trying to target um, and if you are a guy that talks about food every day you probably don't want to approach that lipstick brand you probably <laughs> don't have females aged 25 to 34 in your demographic uh, so you can make some assumptions as a creator by looking at their content and looking at the other influencers or other creators that they're already working with and when it comes to brands how do they try and figure out like who to work with like what is their sort of matrix of like okay i'm gonna work with this creator or this creator or you know this one's gonna be better for me than this one because you know we see a lot of brands put a lot of content with creators that sometimes doesn't seem to fit mm. you know especially when you look at like you know gaming and that kind of thing it seems odd where they're where they're placing their ads yeah, and I think that the market is still fairly immature. I know that, uh, you know, we've been talking about influencer marketing for a few years, but there are still brands that are completely dabbling in it and just working with anyone and everyone and trying to figure it out. The biggest thing that we're seeing and the biggest move in the industry is this audience understanding. So really as a brand, figuring out who they're trying to target and making sure that the influencers align to that target first. Um, um, and, you know, that's a very non, I guess, romantic way of looking at content creation and, and creativity, but that's kind of the first make or break. So does that creator have the audience that we're looking to reach? If they do, then they start going into, okay, cool. What does their content look like? Um, you know, are they the right image for our brand? What have they posted? Who else have they worked with? You know, do they swear? Do they drink a lot on their feed? Like all then the sort of more soft objective things. Uh, but if you don't have the right data, um, brands are starting to err away from the get-go. What does a great pitch to a brand look like? Can I tell you what it doesn't look like first? Yes, <laughs> please. So if you are contacting a brand and you've found their amazing uh, Instagram profile or social media profile, don't slide into their DMs and say, <laughs> hey, want to collab? <laughs> I can't believe it. This, it just, this example keeps coming up again and again. It literally just came up this week of someone doing that. And it's just, you know, you do have to think about yourself as a business. And as a business owner, you would never reach out to someone, you know, you wouldn't say that to someone in person. So you don't say that on social media. Um, so what a good pitch looks like um 
email is actually great. If you can email someone first over DMing a brand, that is definitely the recommendation. You've got to remember that you're not dealing with another, say, creator who is social first. You're dealing with a brand marketing manager and they are sitting in front of their computer every day looking at their email inbox. So that's where you want to be. You need to understand that audience relevancy. So it's really the why. Why, as a creator, would that brand want to work with you? And the key things will be the audience. So the alignment and how relevant and exciting your audience would find it to find out more information about this brand. And then the value you can provide in terms of content creation. You know, you might even do a bit more research and find out how often they actually post on their social media profiles. Hey, I noticed you're only posting once a week. Is that because you don't have an amazing bank of content? Let me help you create that. You know, not only is my audience relevant and would love to hear about your brand, but I can actually value add here and make your life easier, Mr. Marketing Manager or Mrs. Social Media Manager, um, and supply that content. I think it's really about understanding your why, which is audience, and your value. You know, how can you make their life easier? Matt Tabor from the very famous Science Network resource. Yeah, we got a few good ones. <laughs> um, the ones that I really like, there's one about two years ago, which uh, Royal Caribbean Cruises uh, sponsored Kevin to film the solar eclipse that was, uh, the point of totality was over the United States. This is a, a super rare, you know, it was a once in a generation kind of thing. And they, they'd made a cruise that would be directly under the point of totality in the ocean. That was how they sold the cruise. Like, you go on this cruise, we make a big thing out of it. Uh, they had Bonnie Tyler and Joe Jonas sing Total Eclipse of the Heart <laughs> as this was happening. I mean, it was a big production, right? Um, so Kevin had to make a video on that, and he gave a couple uh, really good talks to uh, the ocean goers, you know, on the on the ship. So, yeah, we we only had one shot at that, and it was awesome for me because uh, Eric, who <laughs> Eric Langley is a fantastic VFX guy and, and beautiful cinematographer, he had to shoot Kevin with this eclipse. You know, you have to have a special lens to mm. capture the sun, so that was one thing. Obviously, you only get one shot at this, and it's a fleeting thing, okay? Those poor guys were so stressed out, and I had nothing to do. So, like, I had no role in this at all. And it was amazing because somebody somebody had to, like, hang out properly. So, like, I'm in the VIP area with, uh, you know, like... Bonnie Tyler and Joe Jonas and the others. It's this little roped off thing about the size of this room. And so it, it was awesome. You know, I'm like sipping champagne and looking over <laughs> and Kevin and Eric are just stressed out to the max. They look like they want to die and the, the eclipse is kind of happening. I'm like, oh, so happy that I'm not responsible for this one. Um, that was really cool and it was a great video. Uh, this year has been, has been awesome. Um, we did a thing with the U.S. Navy uh, where Kevin played... Uh, battleship inside a, a nuclear submarine with one of the Navy's nuclear technicians. Create a generation of hype. 